Amen. We have a lot to praise the Lord for. And in our readings, we're going to be uh, looking at the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm going to be ranging all over Luke 1 through 2, but I'll just read verses 39 through 45 of Luke 1. Luke 1, beginning to read at verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word, and as we dig further into it, I pray that you would sanctify us, comfort us, encourage us, challenge us to draw nearer to you. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been looking at the, the roles of the three persons of the Holy Trinity in the Incarnation. And uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the Father's mission that he gave to the Son, and Jesus says that we are sent with the same mission in the same way. And so we looked at some of the ways in which the Father's mission needs to grip and challenge and change our lives. Then last week, we looked at the uh, specific ways in which the Son was a foundation for everything that we think, say, and do, or should be. Today, I want to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in the first advent and uh, see what difference that he makes in our lives right now. If we have the Spirit, it, it will show. If we do not have the Spirit, then our Christianity really is an empty religion. It's a facade. It's like what the Pharisees uh, faced. In fact, uh, Paul speaks of a spiritless Christianity as having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And uh, because we're covering parts of two chapters, we're not going to spend a lot of time on points 2 through 11. I want to spend a little bit more time on point number 1 because it's kind of a foundation. First of all, the third person of the Holy Trinity prepared his elect for Christ. Take a look at Luke 1. And verses 13 through 17. And this was given months before Jesus was uh, born. The Spirit was working in the life of John the Baptist. And Luke points out that just as the Holy Spirit raised up a remnant under Elijah, he was going to be doing the same under John. He was preparing the way for Christ's ministry. Luke 1, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, first reference to the presence of the Holy Spirit emphasizes the disobedience of natural man and how men would not and could not turn to Christ without the Holy Spirit's preparation. Now, some Arminians speak so intensely about the free freedom of man's will. You almost get the impression that they believe man's will can trump God's free will, and it's really nonsense. And I want you to look at this figure here. This is really, I think, a remarkable example of the sovereignty of God because it speaks of John the Baptist being regenerated, being filled with the Spirit right from his mother's womb. It doesn't appear that God's asking John the Baptist permission. It doesn't seem as if uh, John the Baptist is reaching out with his free will. He's a passive object, just like we are passive in our regeneration. Without God's prior choice of us, Scripture is quite clear, not a one of us would choose him. Each gospel account of the incarnation uh, says much the same thing. Here's how John words it. John 1 tells us that because of man's depravity, no one would receive Christ, not even his elect. No one. This means that the idea that God foreknew, he looks down the corridors of time, people say, and he foreknew, okay, that one's going to choose me and that one's not... And so the ones that choose me are the ones I'm going to elect. That's really nonsense because he says even his own elect did not receive him. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, Arminians love verse 12, the next verse, which says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Now, we love that verse, too. It is an incredibly precious uh, promise. But we need to realize that the verses before that verse and the verses after that verse indicate that no one could believe, no one could receive God unless God's Spirit, first of all, regenerated their hearts. Even the elect rejected Christ until the Spirit worked in their hearts. It says he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They can't believe until they are regenerated. John denies that our, our will has any role whatsoever in our regeneration. For example, he says, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in the back of your outlines, I've put a chart uh, I'm not going to go through the chart, but I think I wanted you at least have it so that you could uh, refer to it in the future. This is a dividing line between uh, reformational theology and Arminianism. This indicates that regeneration has to occur first, and when it does, it always results in repentance and faith. And so re think of regeneration as a part of the Holy Spirit's preparation of our hearts to come to Christ, to receive Christ, to appropriate the things of Christ. Now, verse 17 also says that a turned heart uh, will affect our relationships. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Well, let me, before I even get to that, before the relationships, let me just apply this uh, to ourselves. 
Is there evidence in our lives that we have been prepared by the Holy Spirit to come to Christ? Uh, if you look at verse 17, it gives some clues on how you can tell. It says, your heart will be turned, to turn the hearts of the fathers. Uh, in the scripture, the heart is um, composed of the mind, the will, the emotions, the conscience. It's the inner man. And so you could, you could say that if your mind is still as undisposed to love the things of the Scripture as an unregenerate, you may not yet have been prepared by the Holy Spirit for Christ because the Spirit prepares our minds to turn to the Lord. If our emotions are just as unruly, if our, if our uh, wills are just as rebellious to God, we may still need the, the Spirit's preparation there. But then verse 17 also talks about uh, it affecting our relationships. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Uh, these verses also indicate it affects our holiness. He will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Does our heart hunger and thirst after righteousness? That's one of the evidences that the Spirit of God is at work within our lives. Uh, does it constantly long for the wisdom of this world and uh, long for the approval of man? Or does it say with David, oh, how love I thy law? Is my meditation all of the day? Or with David, uh, longing for the courts of God. Okay, the Spirit prepares men. He's constantly moving people to Christ. Okay, so that's the, that's the first point. Points two and following showcase the fact that once the Holy Spirit has done this, has drawn us to Christ, given us new life, and filled our hearts, the Holy Spirit will show in ten ways. These next ten points show the overflow of the Spirit within us. First of all, we'll have a spirit of giving. One of the things associated with the Spirit in Luke is his giving. He's always giving. He gives us wisdom, he gives us joy, he gives us love, all of the fruit of the Spirit, our gifts from uh, the Holy Spirit. But he's also involved in giving us the Son. John 3.16 says, the Father so loved us that he gave us the Son. But I want you to notice that the Spirit is involved as well. Look at Luke 1, verses 34 through 35. Very intimately involved in giving the Son. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So even though the Holy Spirit gives all kinds of uh, things in this chapter, the ultimate gift that the Holy Spirit gave was the Son, as the Son took to himself a human nature. So if gift-giving at Christmas is to have a Christian character. Our motives, I think, need to transcend the motives of unbelievers. And I think it's the Holy Spirit who enables that to happen. He gives us a desire of generosity. He gives to us the grace of giving. He takes away selfishness, self-centeredness, and he enables us to give just as the Holy Trinity gave. So this Christmas, let's ask God for a genuine spirit of giving. Another thing associated with Christmas is joy, and when you're reading through this account, you cannot miss the words, let me list them for you, rejoice, joy, joy and gladness, great joy, exceeding great joy, that keep punctuating the, uh, the nativity story. 
But I especially like the description of John the Baptist because God alone could have opened John the Baptist's heart to have the spiritual joy while he's still in his mother's womb. This is something remarkable. Well, first of all, let me, let me read verse 14, which describes uh, the joy of the adults. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Now, that's natural. People love babies. It's a very joyful occasion. But verse 15 sets the foundation for a joy which I think cannot be explained by merely outward factors. Verse 15 says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now take a look at what the Spirit-filled baby does when Mary comes with the child Jesus in her womb. Verses 41 through 44. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Okay, this joy that John the Baptist had in the womb is a joy that any one of us can have when we too are filled uh, with the Spirit. The difference between the hatred of Herod and the joy of the wise men really was the presence of the Spirit. The difference between the apathy of the general crowds out there and the remnant uh, was, again, the presence of the Spirit. Luke attributes Elizabeth's joy to her being filled with the Spirit. Same was true of Simeon. So if you're feeling particularly joyless uh, this season, the remedy is not changing your outward circumstances. That's what we always want to do. If only I could have this, this, or the other thing, I would be more joyful. The difference comes from an inward presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Peter says you could have absolute misery and suffering. Uh, 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 Gary was talking about this last week. The suffering believers who were so persecuted that you would think they would be miserable, and yet Peter said you have joy inexpressible and full of glory. How did they have that? had nothing to do with their outward circumstances. It had to do with the presence of the Holy Spirit who generates supernatural joy. J.I. Packer in his book on the Holy Spirit says that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it shows. It shows in many different ways. And that's what the sermon is about. It's showing the Spirit. These are ten ways in which we demonstrate a Spirit-filled life. Welcome is another Christmas should be a time of welcome, yet for some people it's a time for hunkering down and jealously guarding this time for our families, right? Wherever one finds the Spirit in abundance, you will find an attitude of welcome, hospitality for God's people. Uh, we just read the passage that's in your outline, uh, but Luke 1, 40, 41 through 45 describes the Spirit-filled baby John welcoming the Lord Jesus, and the Spirit-filled Elizabeth welcoming Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. And this is an attitude that God produces in his uh, people. The book of 1 John says you cannot even claim to be indwelt by the, uh, the, the, the triune God if you don't have welcoming attitude to the brethren, if you do not um, love the brethren. 
One of the last words of the book of Revelation are the Spirit's welcoming attitude that He produces within the church. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who he hears say, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So, do you have a spirit of hospitality and welcome? And it doesn't mean you have to welcome people into your home. You might not even have a home, but you can be welcoming in this congregation and making people who are new, you know, feel uh, comfortable and somebody who's sad, you go over and you, 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 you embrace them and you, you, you speak with them. That is a spirit of welcome. If you really want to get into the Christmas spirit this year, you not only need Christ, who is the reason of the season, but you need the Holy Spirit who produces Christmas cheer, I think is what the way one person worded it, produces Christmas cheer within his people. Now what about praise? Someone once said that the worst kind of air pollution is not smog, but a sour disposition. <laughs> and you've probably experienced that. You've walked into a room and you think, uh-oh, boy, things are tough in here. You could almost slice the air, it's so thick, because somebody's got a sour attitude. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit does not produce sour milk. Uh, he produces sweet attitudes within his people. He produces praise within his people. Luke 1, verse 64 says, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. Our tongues need to be loosed more frequently in praise to God during the week. I mean, we love to do it on Sunday. But praising God, is, is it the impulse of our heart? Now, some people excuse their lack of praise based on their personality, and it is a factor. I will admit that. For some people, they're much more outgoing, much easier to uh, give forth praise in this way. But think of this. If praise were entirely dependent upon our personality, why would Revelation 19, verse 5 say, Praise God, all you his people. If it's dependent on personality, he's not going to command all his people. He's just going to command the people who got the personalities to really praise, right? And uh, the reason all people can give genuine praise like this is because it's not dependent on our personality. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to produce praise. Another way we show the Spirit is adoration. Now, we've got many people during this Christmas season, especially in America, who will go to church, their once-a-year pilgrimage, and uh, they will pretend to worship the Lord just like Herod pretended to worship and adore Christ uh, himself. And even in our own lives, this can be something that is forced. Uh, I remember when I was younger, it really irritated me when people would uh, tell me, Phil... You need to smile more. Smile. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I'm thinking, you know, that's hypocritical to smile if you don't feel like smiling. Now, I must not have been a very smiley person because I got this so many times. But I had a very shy, reserved personality, kind of a depressed uh, kind of a personality. And I remember even when, after I was regenerate and I really desired to be more energetic in my worship, it was hard for me. It was hard work to engage in that kind of adoration. It was sort of like the old-fashioned pumps that uh, when I was a kid, we'd go to the farm 
and you just work like crazy on that pump, and eventually a little trickle would come, and then the water would start gushing out. That's the way I felt it was with worship. Yeah, I could finally get into worship, but it was a lot of work to get to that place. And I remember the first time when that was not the case for me, when I prayed for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this has happened repeatedly since then, but it was remarkable. It was not like a trickle. It was like I was being overwhelmed with the ocean of God's love. Wave after wave, so much of God coming over me. I thought I was going to die, but I loved it. And it was easy to adore God in that circumstance. There was so much of the Holy Spirit that was being poured into me that it was just the most natural thing in the world for me to offer up praise and adoration and to glory in who God was. And that is what I long for all of God's people, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now that's an image that the Scripture uses of Christ, not a trickle out of a faucet, but rivers of living water. Jesus said that anyone, anyone who drinks of Christ out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You can't stop a river. If a river is flowing, you can put a dam there, what happens? The river just flows over the dam or it goes around that dam. You cannot stop a river. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you cannot stop these things from showing in your life. Adoration for the Father will come forth. And there's several, there's several examples of adoration in the nativity story. You've got the wise men. You've got the shepherds. You've got others in here. Let me just read without any comment Mary's adoration and praise in verses 46 through 55. I love, I love this passage. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever." The Holy Spirit is given to praise. Now, you might think that's a, a strange idea, but if you read the theology books, you'll see, yes, that's absolutely true, because what does the Holy Spirit do? He's constantly pointing to the Son and to the Father. He's not pointing to himself. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He's always pointing to the Son and to the Father. So when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be pointing to the Son. We're going to be pointing to the Father. We're going to be ever so grateful for all that they have done. And so if you feel dry and you feel unable to do this, cry out to God like David did. David is noted as being one of the uh, most magnificent worshipers in the Scripture, and yet how many times did he have dryness too? Don't think poorly of yourself if you have dryness. You just say, well, I guess I'm like David. And what did David do? He cried out to God and he said, Lord, I hunger and thirst after you. I'm like a deer in the desert. 
I'm going to die without you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Now, you may not yet have ever experienced the ocean of God's love flowing over you, or even the rivers of that. It doesn't matter. Start where you're at. Maybe you've just had a little trickle. That's okay. Prime the pump and start pumping away and say, I want water. I want the Holy Spirit's characteristics within my own life. And how do you prime the pump? You know those old pumps, they wouldn't pump anything unless you poured water down them. So you pour water down them, and I think of priming the pump as like praying, playing worship music on your iPad or iPod or whatever it is, uh, playing that and singing along. Sometimes other people helping you to worship and adore. Music is a great way to prime the pump, but sing along. And as that water starts gushing out, you can say, Lord, I bless you for this trickle of water. Make it into a river, but start where you're at at least. Praise. That's one of the uh, spirit-generated uh, things. Praise, joy, adoration. Okay, the Holy Spirit is also described here as the spirit of prophecy. These were inspired prophets. Luke 1.67 says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And I think one of the things that we could be thankful for in the church of Jesus Christ is we've got a finished canon. We've got the scriptures that, that uh, uh, Rodney was talking about uh, earlier. You know, he, you know, he kind of chuckled when he saw me laughing over there. I wasn't disagreeing. I just think he's a funny guy. <laughs> That's why I was laughing. But so thankful for the finished scriptures. It's an incredible gift. And we would not even have the story of the nativity if the Spirit had not given us the Scriptures. And we need to treasure it. It was by the Spirit that Elizabeth, Mary, Zacharias, Simeon, Anna all spoke. Now here's the point. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit loves the Word of God. That's His gift to the church. It reflects His heart. He loves to communicate God's heart to His people. He loves to motivate his people to get into the scriptures. And one of the evidences we are filled with the scripture is a renewed hungering for the word of God. We want to get into those scriptures. Deuteronomy 32, 46 through 47 says, Be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days. Now, in the broad sense of the term, every one of you are prophets, priests, and kings. How are we prophets? When you bring these scriptures on your lips to the, to the lives of people, you act, in a sense, as a prophetic vehicle. You're bringing the prophecies of scripture into the lives of other people. But here, here's the thing. You should never separate spirit and word. He's the author of the Word. He works through the Word. And He is never going to have you say, eh, I really want the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not going to get into the Scripture. That's a dry, old, dusty book. I want experience. He never does that. You start going down the road of neglecting the Scripture for experience, all of a sudden, you've got a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you cannot separate Him from His Word. But the second thing you cannot separate Him from is His power. He wants us to experience the reality of the power. So we can be dry and dusty if we say the word, but we don't want to experience the word. So the next point is, it's a spirit of empowerment. You do not separate word and power. 
uh, several examples of the Spirit, Spirit's empowering work in the lives of His people, and I've just picked two in your outline. Luke 1, verse 80, says of the child John, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now that thought is repeated in chapter 2 and verse 40 and applied to Jesus. And the child grew and became strong in spirit just like John, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now think about this. Jesus is a perfect man from the time of conception. If Jesus needed the Spirit's work in his life as a perfect man, if he needed God's grace upon him as a perfect man, how on earth can we think we can live the Christian life without the filling of the Holy Spirit? We cannot. If we're to imitate Christ, we're going to have to walk in the power of the Spirit. For many people, Christmas is just an empty tradition. They talk about Christ, they celebrate His birth, but there is no reality or power in their lives. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk only, but of power. So the Spirit is what makes the difference between a Christmas that's just a matter of talk and a Christmas that, yeah, there's a lot of talk, praise God for the talk, but it's also the power, the reality of that being experienced in our lives. Hope is another major component of Christmas talk, but unlike the hopes of the world, which are often dashed, the Spirit gives hope which does not disappoint. Now, I'm just going to look at one example, and that's Luke 2, and uh, verses 25 through 26. It speaks of the Holy Spirit's role in giving hope of a coming Messiah to Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now that may have seemed like an impossible dream, but because it was Spirit-given, it was a hope that could not be dashed. Okay, Romans 5, verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. So He's not just a, a spirit of hope back then. He continues to give His people hope today. You may have had failure after failure. In fact, some of the things I'm talking about here may discourage you. And you say, man, I wish I had that in my life. You may have had these failures, but what the Holy Spirit's going to do within you is to say, get up, Phil. Uh, don't stew in your mess. You get up, you confess your sin, you keep on keeping on. You continue to have hope. You never let your hopes be dashed through your sins, through lack of experience, whatever it might be. You always focus on Christ. That's because the Holy Spirit keeps our eyes focused on Christ. He's a spirit of hope. Uh, just very quickly, taking up the last two points, the Spirit gave guidance. Now, obviously, the direct revelation that was given uh, by the Holy Spirit to several of these people was a form of guidance, but the Spirit of God guided them in other ways as well. Let me give you some examples. What moved Mary to go visit Elizabeth during, uh, you know, for a three-month period of time? Um, 
it may have just been a desire to meet with her. This was a, a convenient thing for her to do. But it was the Spirit, ultimately, who moved her to do that. You could say, what moved Joseph and Mary to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Say, well, tax man said, you got to move there. It's a census. You're going to be in prison if you don't. You could say, well, yeah, that factored into there. But God used that providence to make them go to Bethlehem in order to fulfill a prophecy, right? So God is even working through the providences of the tax man. What moved Joseph and Mary to have Jesus circumcised and later to have Jesus dedicated at the temple? That's where Simeon met him. You could say, well, they're just obeying the scripture. Yes, that's true. But it was the Holy Spirit that motivated them to fulfill those scriptures. And you can see in many of these people, in Mary, you can see Mary's desires, the providences in Mary's life, the scriptures that drove her, you can see the spirit uh, behind all of that. Now, I'm just going to give um, one more example. Luke 2, verse 27. This is another example of guidance in, in Simeon's life. So he, that Simeon, came by the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him. But it says he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, we're not given any details of how the Spirit moved him, guided him to come into the temple at exactly that particular time. But we can praise God that the Spirit is in control of our lives. He continues to give guidance as a wonderful gift, a wonderful gift. Now, the last thing I want to highlight this morning was that the Spirit produced a blessing on the lips of his people. In chapter 1, Filled with the Spirit, uh, Elizabeth says, verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. The first impulse of being filled with the Holy Spirit was that she blesses Mary three times. Simeon, filled with the Spirit, picks up the baby Jesus and blesses him. The role of blessings in our lives should not be neglected. Those filled with the Spirit desire God's blessings on the lives of others. And people like us who are elders, we're constantly wishing and praying God's blessings upon our congregation, right? Um, I think you can see how this ties in with the Christmas spirit rather well. All of these things we've just gone through are other-oriented. And the spirit produces the miracle, and it really is a miracle when you think about it, produces the miracle of thinking of others more highly than we think of ourselves. The spirit of God produces the miracle of rejoicing when others are advanced above us or receive things that are more than what we receive. The Spirit purges us of selfishness. We don't compare our gift, our Christmas gift, to somebody else's Christmas gift and envy what they have. Well, we can't say we don't always do that because we got the flesh, don't we? As long as the flesh resides in us, we're going to have this dual, dual aspect. We're going to have selfishness. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are enabled 
more and more to crucify those selfish impulses and more and more to be like the Holy Spirit in generosity. And so this brings us full circle in this sermon to point number one. How do we gain the Christmas spirit? Naturally, we're selfish. We don't care about any of these things in our flesh. But when we have the Holy Spirit residing within us and preparing us for Christ, we can enter into the Christmas spirit as God intended. So if you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, I would urge you to do so. And I would urge you to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says it's there for the asking. He says, what father who has a hungry son and he asks for bread is, is not going to give him that bread? We're generous with our children. He says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if this season's joy is to be more than passing, you need to walk in the Spirit and ask Him to cleanse your heart of selfishness. So may each of us find a full measure of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we overflow with those rivers of living water. May we show the Holy Spirit in these ten ways. Amen. Father, we thank You for all of the examples that You give in Scripture that we, weak, sinful, selfish, fallen sinners can find the Holy Spirit's overflow in our lives. They encourage us that uh, if others can uh, enter into this supernatural in such a wonderful way that we can as well. We ask for your forgiveness for the times where we just go on in our own flesh without ever asking in faith for the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that day by day, you would fill us with your Spirit. Keep on filling us with your Spirit, that we might walk as you have called us to walk. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.